Welcome to another edition of Unplug It. Next stop is September. Obviously, we knew we were headed for the finals last week, but it does automatically feel realer once you have an opponent locked in place and you walk outside, you smell that sort of spring air, which smells like finals, and you know that you are a part of it and it gets you a little bit excited. You've got the week off to sort of dwell over that a little bit, but certainly plenty of football to talk about and, and as we said very different to the last finals experience we were doing this podcast in 2020 we we're all you know isolation we had to watch matches uh, on our own effectively there was no chance you could go along and see a final you were playing at the Gabba and, and then Metricon and, and that was a special moment given it was nine years in the making but to be at the MCG in front of 50 60,000 people potentially certainly does feel not just closer to home, literally, but, but certainly closer to that level of reality. And um, Aaron, as I welcome you in, first of all, um, obviously we'll review the Brisbane game a little bit later on, but uh, the Giants, it, it looked like for most of Sunday that we'd probably play Sydney, but um, GWS is the eventual opponent. Yeah, it was a bit of a roller coaster. Um, hmm. I mean, actually it started, yeah, the week before as, we, as we're talking at the Essendon, just not even turning up in Sydney and yeah, going from the whole, yeah, we, we, we did it enough kind of to um, not, not throw us straight out and then Melbourne getting up and going fantastic. And then right in the roll coaster, right at the end of GWS, like, or actually Carlton almost doing their best impersonation of Essendon and just vanishing from the field at half time. And yeah, it was, it's, Good that they, what, two goals in the last ever how many minutes it was that actually gave us that position. Um, as I said, we did enough. But, yeah, I don't think we've ever cheered home that many goals from other teams during a weekend. It was just, yeah, <laughs> roller coaster of emotions and jumping on Melbourne, great, fantastic, they've won. Great, okay, next game. Go through Sunday. Last thing you want to do is be barricaded for Carlton, and, and yeah, it felt dirty. And but yep, they got us there in the end. It was funny. All of the texts that were flying around between me and a few other Saints fans with all these expletives about Carlton when they were forty-five points down, thinking you bastards have rolled over, and then out of nowhere, when we actually <laughs> lost six spot briefly, I couldn't see any conceivable way or reason why Carlton would score again. They had nothing to play for, but. Thank you to them, and the only time we'll ever say that. But they actually dug in and rallied in the last five minutes for seemingly no reason at all, and were able to get us that home final back. And and Nick, it was a um, you know, it's a dirty feeling barracking for Carlton, but they did the right thing. I mean, it, it looked no chance, but um, good on them. For for most of the night, I was I was at a whiskey night, so I was watching the scores and the live ladder on my phone, having a having a few drams, but uh, watching that live ladder and seeing the percentage tick up and up and up for for GWS uh, it just felt inevitable that they were going to they were going to take over and when they did it was like well how much by like they, they could win by six goals now when they when they finally um, hit that point it looked like they were just running over the top of them and, and Carlton had nothing to play for like for what it's worth they had absolutely nothing to play for and and you almost as much as you hate to say it you almost couldn't begrudge them for playing like that because I would have hoped that we would have done something similar, make sure that we get through the last game unscathed and nobody gets hurt and fit and healthy and get ready for, for a fortnight's time. But for some reason, like you said, Paco, they just rallied and, and kicked those couple that we needed right at the end and and got us our, our home yeah. final. And I was going to say, Nick, Nick went yeah. from 
sipping those that whiskey to shooting it. It was. <laughs> I reckon that would have been. There, it was funny. It got to that. It got to that point where almost everyone at the table, like there was twenty people there. Everyone at the table was on their phone, like just watching that last minute or a couple of minutes and watching the ladder and see how how it moved. It was quite amazing. Uh, and I guess just before we um welcome our special guest in the civil we'll review that Brisbane game a little bit later, not in huge detail, because in the end it didn't matter greatly. But what we take from it, and then we. We'll preview the Giants game next week, um, obviously, as we draw closer to that and we learn a little bit more about selection. But there, there was all that debate over the weekend about where the final would be played. It seemed pretty likely that it was going to be the MCG right from the word go. And mm-hmm. personally, I, I love that. Now, I know Marvel's our home ground, and yes, we might be sitting there thinking the Giants just smoked Carlton there and, and therefore they, they would be harder to beat at Marvel. But I don't know, it's more the romantic side of things. The MCG feels like finals. I don't know, if you play a final at Marvel, it's almost like half a final, if that makes sense. It's like a big home and away game mm. with a national anthem and that type of thing. But the idea of dreaming of going to finals, you sit at the MCG in September amongst your supporter base, and that is what a final is. So... um yeah, I'm a thousand percent all on board. I think we play the ground pretty well, but it had to be the G. Hundred percent. I mean, if you want to win a flag, you got to win games. You got to mm-hmm. win finals at the G. Like it, it, it's as simple as that. And the reality is, we're going to get a pretty decent crowd. I know people have been mm-hmm. worried that we're not. We're only going to get thirty five thousand or forty thousand. There's going to be sixty, sixty five, seventy thousand people there, and that can only be a good thing for us. I think you're right. We do play well at the G. We're a, we're a hard running team. We like the space. We like to use the wings. Um, I think it suits us, and and we play well there. So I'm all for it playing at the G. H. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to be there. As you're saying, September football's played there. So yeah, I I, I felt all along that's what would be happening. I, I was going to be quite surprised if we did end up at Marvel. It's just not on their radar, and I, I think they straight away said no. There's more people that want to go there than will fit in anyway. So yeah, it's from what I'm hearing, the numbers are pretty good already so um yeah it's probably the right decision in the end yeah 100 percent non-negotiable for mine that it would be at the mcg i mean there are certain circumstances where i wouldn't mind a final at marvel but i'm, I'm all on board this one at the mcg well it is positive times and times for passion and our next guest is matt stewart comedian podcaster host of the beer pioneer which Already, I think, would prick the ears of plenty on, on the SBS and director of Good Tucker also on SBS, but most significantly a 30-year Saints member. So very much one of us. You can head to uh, mattstewartcomedy.com. And, Matt, thanks for joining us in this pre-finals bye week. What an honour to be here. can't believe it. I mean, so this is like I do lots of podcasts, but I don't listen to that many. This is one I listen to every week. It's... um. Since finding you, it's been such a pleasure to have a podcast, a football podcast I can listen to after a loss. <laughs> I used to find footy media very difficult after a loss because, you know, you'd either be ridiculed or, or irrelevant or not even spoken about hardly. But, yeah, it's so nice to find a place where you can um, – it just feels like, you you know, you're listening to friends talk about uh, what you've gone through as well. <laughs> to be honest, that was part that, of the that, motivation – yeah. Yeah, and no, I was going to say we've been told that that listening to the show and I think for us kind of doing the show is a bit of that kind of weekly therapy session mm-hmm. and and when you deal with as many losses as, as we have and we do <laughs> uh you kind of need that every week. So it has been I think a benefit to to everybody. Yeah. And it'd be a different show if we recorded a Monday compared to a Wednesday or Sunday as well though. That's that's <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, yes. I, I d- yeah, I, I want to hear some just straight after the game, you know, two episodes a week. I've pitched this to Nick. He's like, we're working hard enough as it is, but I'm thinking maybe seven a week. We just, you know, check it's in. The, the uncensored. Every day there's news. The uncensored, unfiltered version. <laughs> How are you feeling this morning? On a Sunday yeah. night. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, yeah, that was when I was putting it all, well, when I was sort of talking to the guys about it and we were putting it all together. It was a little bit of that. I mean, I, I work in the football media a bit, but there is that massive knee-jerk reaction element of, you know, you win three in a row, you're going to win the flag, you lose your next two, you're the worst team in history. And, and it gets Carlton, tedious. Carlton areas. Yeah, exactly. It gets tedious listening to, to that all the time and it can be absolute total saturation and paralysis by analysis and all of that sort of stuff. So it's almost like, well, if you get an area for like-minded Saints fans to talk, that's generally the... Uh, I think the safest place for those who want to avoid all of that other stuff. But um, in terms of your background, I've always wanted to ask this question of comedians. It's probably a very stupid one. But at what point, obviously, when you're growing up, you realise that you're, you know, you're funny and you can make people laugh. But where does that translate into, I think I can actually take this to a point where this can become a living. I can dedicate myself to this and I, I can actually go somewhere with this as a career. How does it get to, I guess, that point? I th- well, it took me ages to have any sort of confidence in that way, and I put that down to my Saints uh, <laughs> relationship. Like, what you know, what right do I have? <laughs> there's, there's, I think yeah. Hawthorne supporters <laughs> around our age, they're like, yeah, of course, <laughs> of course, I should do the thing that I want to do. But Saints supporters, are like, oh no, I, I don't know. This, I don't think this this is for me. You're not worth it. I was 29 before I did a gig at all. And, um, yeah, I'm 39 now, so I've been doing it for 10 years. And it took, like, I wanted to do it from mid-20s. But, yeah, I grew up in Moorabbin, so I'd, I don't think there were many people around Moorabbin thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to get into entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I don't remember anyone talking about it as an option. Moorabbin, the, uh, the Broadway of Melbourne. Uh, <laughs> no, well, that's true. I haven't, yeah, La La Land down there. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you talk about growing up in, in Moorabbin, but is that how you became a, a St Kilda supporter, just living in the area? Uh, basically, yeah. I, I actually, you're going to hate this. I know how you all feel about Carlton, but I was born a Carlton supporter. Um, I come from a split family, divided family, and uh, my mum and her side of the family is Carlton. Her parents, you know, were from Carlton. and my dad's other family from Moorabbin, the Saints fans, and we lived, my parents are teachers, so we lived in the country uh, for the first five-odd years of my life and uh, I guess at a safe distance from the Stuarts, my quite large St Kilda supporting family, and they um, they weren't able to get me in. So mum had her way. I was a Carlton guy. Stephen Kernan's number four on my back. And then uh, in 89 we moved to Moorabbin and uh, my Uncle John took me from, you know, there was a bit of a house when my Uncle John took me to the front room away from everyone else, sat me down. He said, all right, Matt, you go for the Saints now. <laughs> and I said, okay, John. <laughs> <laughs> and fair enough. It's, it's, it'd be the trans- transformation that we would be very much approved by most people, I'd say. So it's... <laughs> That's true, but I mean, at the time, it seems like child abuse. Making like the blues were flying at that point, and he's he's switched me to you know the cellar dwellers. But no regrets since then. It's been pretty even, I would say. 
Oh, actually, probably we've had the better of it apart from ninety five. Yeah, we've owned them. Yeah, I don't think you're alone actually, because I think H, your your family was half Collingwood or, or somewhat yes, Collingwood. Yeah, my I'm family was was half Hawthorne. Collingwood, yep. So, yeah, my family was half half Hawthorne, and you know some decisions and had to be made when we, when we were young. And young I think fellas. Darren had a uh, split from Geelong or something. I think. Yeah. So, so my mum's side were all Sydney, um, but. She'd sort of migrated across to St Kilda, but yeah, I barracked with Geelong for a few months in primary school. And dad, dad, similarly sat me down saying, "Well, you can barrack with them if you want, but you'll never go to a game because I'm only going to watch the Saints. So um, you can come with me to those ones, but I'm not taking you to a Geelong game." And I'm like, "Fair enough." So uh, <laughs> that's sort of how it came to Jeez, be. He's so. deprived you of a bit of joy, hasn't he? But oh well. Yeah. Um, but I think apparently, looking back, I didn't realise how. Um, how nice my mum was about it because she's probably more than my dad. She's the madder footy fan of the six of us. Me and my three siblings were two parents. Me and mum are the two who still properly give a shit and, you know, bleed (laughs) when we win or lose. Um, But apparently she's told me about it since that it was the most heartbreaking moment when she unpicked the stitches of the number four off the Carlton jumper and put it on the Saints jumper. So I went from sticks to plugger in an off season, and um, which isn't a bad move, you know. But it's a good number there. Yeah, she still talks about it like it was one of the saddest moments of her life. With all due respect to sticks, pluggers drop punts that go spun properly at least. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was always something. So, so being a comedian, that. Um, a lot of comedians or entertainers, they they have in their kit bag the whole uh, impersonation thing at times. Have you have you tried to bring out the the <laughs> Ross or anyone at, at any stage or anything? Or um, I reckon I'd be probably about as I on this show, H. I relate to you the most, and uh, I don't think of you as the man of a thousand voices. Maybe no. I'm wrong. <laughs> 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 no, I wish. No, I can. Um, no, right. I mean, Ross isn't that far off. He's sort of another dopey sort of deep voice, but um, no, I, I do talk about the Saints a bit on stage. Though I, um, most festival shows will have at least one Saints-related anecdote. Uh, probably the one, the one they got the most legs was when the story of. Um, 2010 i talk about how i um i was at, there in 97 i was there in 09 heartbroken so leaving the ground after 09 i said to myself i gotta take out emotional insurance if we ever make it in i can't take it my heart can't take it <laughs> and then obviously it didn't have to wait that long the very next year we were there and i took out emotional insurance and that's what i did i put a thousand dollars biggest bet i'd ever made and i put it on the opposition which i'd never normally do but I saw this going one of two ways. Either the Saints won and I'd be happy or Collingwood would win and I'd win a lot of money, which is like a form of happiness. <laughs> uh, the only way my plan could have come unstuck is if it was a draw. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> as you three well know, yes, it was in fact a draw. And I somehow figured out a way of being a loser twice in the one grand final. It, it, must, be, Brutal. it must be a source of comfort to know that you've always got some sort of tragic story to, to relate back to in, in <laughs> yeah. terms of your shows or, or whatever, that there's always a St Kilda story you can fall back on in case things aren't going so well on stage. I do, yeah, and I've got friends who are like that with, I mean, they don't have a, a football team like me 
uh, to always fall back on. They'll be like, oh, so great. I got robbed this week. <laughs> I reckon I'll be able to turn that into 20 minutes on stage, <laughs> something like that. I'm... <laughs> so, yeah, it's trickier in these, uh, you know, these finals years. What do I talk about? Well, that maybe that's the tragedy. Maybe that's when you, you go up on stage and say, I had this whole set prepared of St Kilda tragic stories. We were playing finals, so I'm just going to stand here and look at you for the next half an hour. Yeah, I'm actually feeling pretty good about myself. It's remarkable. One of the most so, St Kilda things would have been, and it didn't occur, would have been that that Adelaide-Sydney stuff-up was going to cost us a trip into state, but it didn't eventuate. But it's very typical of us to have been the innocent victim of something that didn't even involve us at all. Um, but, yeah, we, we managed to successfully dodge that bullet. Um Early memories, if you mentioned transitioning to the Saints in 1989 and living in that Moorabbin area, I imagine you visited Moorabbin fairly frequently before we left there in 1992. Um, any early memories of, of childhood around the animal enclosure or around Moorabbin? I don't remember the animal enclosure that well. We sat or stood, should I say, at the South Road end, sort of just across from the goals. Um so, yeah, and I was pretty young, so I, I was, I guess, being protected maybe from the animal enclosure. I'm not sure, but I kind of wish I, I got to, to spend some time closer there. But watching, you know, just watching Plugger kick goal after goal. And, and do you remember the trumpeter he used to climb up on the sign? That yeah. was right near where we would stand. And he'd, he'd play the song at the end of the games. But And then after a loss, he'd play it, but Sad. sadly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So good. <laughs> the, the, it's funny, and then yeah, I remember, like in terms of, like the musician stuff, because pretty much always through, there's always been someone who plays the song at the end of the game, and even even coming to to Marvel, I remember even probably actually I don't think I've seen him since COVID, but pre COVID there was the the guitarist who before games would play classical gas. Um, just time after time, just keep playing classical gas on his guitar, and then at the end of the game, he'd he'd either play the Saints theme song, or he'd play the Saints theme song sad. <laughs> it was, that were that was the options. <laughs> yeah. That were the three, the three on the tradition. Yeah, because they're not like a smarter businessman would probably play the winning songs team, <laughs> you know, because there's usually plenty of them pretty happy and ready to give them money out. But no, he's he stayed true, which I appreciated. So, have, you, have you had any point been up on a stage or anything and looked down and gone, hang on, there's one of our guys in the crowd or... Or had it a oh. maybe a meeting at a gig somewhere or anything? Or I um well I was lucky enough during the lockdowns I did a, a web series where I interviewed my childhood heroes. So I did an episode with Gazy and uh, Damien Cow from Tism, who's a big Saint supporter mm-hmm. as well, and um, and Frankie Peckett, who's like my all time <laughs> favorite footballer. And I think you've had him on. We have, yep. yeah. Yeah, what a great guy. Anyway, so um, after that, the next comedy festival, I didn't realise it, but he came to one of the shows and I don't see who's out in the crowd, you know, the lights in your eyes or whatever, but I always go to the door and say goodbye as they leave and he came out and I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, my God. I'm so, so glad I didn't know I was in there because, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to keep a straight thought. But um and I said to him, oh, I'm like, oh, you know, like the classic, oh, oh, it's, uh, yeah, a bit of a flat night, but uh, honestly, um, <laughs> thanks so much for coming. And and he goes, oh, no, I thought it was, it was great. I've never been to comedy before, so this is all I think it is. I'm like, that's right. 
That's right, Frankie. I'm I'm coming. <laughs> was it you, Matt, that told a story at one of your shows about uh, meeting a player and uh, blurting out something like, "Are uh, you my <laughs> you my password?" Or what, what, yeah, that was you, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. I went. Do you, have you had Goxie on? We before? haven't had Goxie. I've, Goxie I've, was I've known him for a while. He, but we haven't. Had he's him just on. moved back to Melbourne. He's um. You should get him on. What a character! But he's um. He was going to be doing a set at the yeah. BNF. Yep. Uh, or Nick, you were telling me it's the F and B. No, time. no, the, no the Brownlow's the F and B. The league F and B. Oh, the Brownlow's the F and B. Sorry. Um, so, the, so he was he was there um, going to do a set there, and he brought me along as his plus one, and uh, uh, you know, uh, such a sad week that. Danny Frawley ended up mm. passing away that week, so they cut Coxie's set. But we still went mm. along, and it was, you know, such a you know emotional night. But walking in, all the players started coming up to Goxie, saying, "Hey, hey, Goxie, how's it going?" And I'm standing next to him, like an, the most awkward goofball. <laughs> so they'd politely turn to me and say, "Oh, hi, I'm, you know, I'm Tim Memory. Hi, Tim, how's it going?" <laughs> you know. Which is looking back is so awkward because I'm ten years older than all of them. But I um, and then uh, Josh Battle came up to me, shook my hand. I said, "Oh, hi, Josh. He used to be my bank password." <laughs> and, yeah, it was um, just a real brain fart, and yeah, it was like I. It gets blurry, but the next I sort of opened my eyes and he wasn't there anymore. <laughs> um, I'm sure, sure he was like, can't wait to you know, couldn't leave that convo quick enough. <laughs> Kind of, kind of know most of that story because myself and Darren were there that night as well, and um, we're, we're probably only about a table away from yourself and Goxie. And we actually walked over to Goxie because he kind of, kind of oh, had no that kidding. connection. And yeah, he was telling us about how he was meant to be up there and that sort of thing. So you'll probably sit next to him as I was talking to him. So there's, <laughs> whoa, yeah, there's the whole. They got, they got shunned oh, again, that, unfortunately. So. With fame. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you, so you've had obviously gone along to that night and that sort of thing. What 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 are some other things you might have got? Anything involved with the club at any point? Have you gone to say you travelled into state for games? Do you go? How, how far yeah. have you gone? Oh man, maybe my I've you know I've gone to gone to the SCG for was that for a final? No, no, it wasn't a final, but it was a late season game. Went to. New Zealand for the first Wellington game, um, which was pretty fun until the game, of course. Um, <laughs> my, but my best uh, interstate game was, I'm going to muck it up. I forget if it's 04 or 05. I think it's 05. But the 05 qualifying final 05, against yeah. Adelaide against the, the Crows. Yeah. yeah, was there too. Oh, man. That was one of the – I think that's probably one of the – it's got to be top – Two or three, because obviously prelim wins are maybe better, but the yeah, that's right up there with the best ever Saints experiences I've had. And my my schoolmate used to be the water boy for the team, and uh, so I go, oh, we should catch up for a beer after. He said, yeah, I'm having some beers with the players. Come come by to this hotel, and we go and ended up chatting with like Aussie Jones into the night. Which uh, looking back, you're like, oh, ideally they'd probably not be at the bar <laughs> until the middle of the night, but. Uh, two weeks off, you know, they had the week off, they earned it, but yeah, then obviously the Sydney game, which was 
pretty rough. Pretty rough indeed, yeah, when we thought. Why am I bringing that up? <laughs> I don't know why I'm bringing that up. That was the Goose Maguire punch game, yep. wasn't it? It was yep. indeed, yeah. Yep. We are um, sort of broadcasting this as the All-Australian team is happening, and by the time you listen to this, you would already know this, with Callum Wilkie and Jack Sinclair in the team, which is fantastic. Sinclair a, a second. Oh, that's awesome. Sinclair a second All-Australian, Wilkie a first. Hopefully they put Big Row in the ruck a bit later on, but we'll find out soon enough. Um, can you sort of take us through a bit of what you're up to? I understand that um, one of your podcasts where you delve a bit into history is actually turning its focus towards the Saints. Uh, can you sort of take us through what you're up to? Yeah, well, this week um, Nick's joining as a special guest. The will uh, be out next Wednesday. We record it tomorrow. I'm currently writing. I'm about 8,000 words deep <laughs> into the – trying to just summarise the – 150 year uh story the script is uh, the script is about 150 pages long because you're typing it into (laughs) size 54 type font (laughs) (laughs) my co-host david just teased me about that all the time my old man eyes needs the very big font but um yeah there's about three words a page i think but um I think I'm, I've, I've just got up to uh, the mid-90s, so tonight might be late because I've still got 30-odd you know, years to go. But, um, yeah, that's going to be really good. It's funny because the podcast we do do go on is um, the majority of the listeners are overseas, so the St Kilda Football Club doesn't necessarily mean anything to them, but I talk about them so much, especially there's a bit of a running joke if the year 1966 ever comes up, I'd. I tell the other two a fun fact that they might not know uh, <laughs> about a, a football game from back then. So a lot of people around the world, and I get messages all the time with people from um, uh, non-football backgrounds in Australia going, you just let me impress this guy at a bar by telling him, oh, yeah, the Saints, oh, yeah, the 1966 Premiers, yeah, yeah, I know that. It's amazing. <laughs> one at a time, just turning one at a time around the world. Yeah, that's right. There's definitely I've, I've definitely converted a few international members, a few in England and stuff. Um, well, yeah, which is pretty wild. But but I think uh, I think this episode this week, Nick is going to change even more minds. I, I yeah. hope so. I mean, that's that's the point, isn't it? That's the point. It's it's a it's a secret secret membership drive for the footy club um but but tell us about the tell us about the podcast like what what does the podcast do every week uh so basically there's three of us and um we rotate between us each week to see uh who's going to tell a story we go back and research a topic usually suggested by the listeners and this one in particular i was just going through our we've got a, like a a google form people can figure out fill out and um i think i i read 20 odd people different people from around the world including someone from turkey uh has suggested i do a a report on the saints (laughs) and um yeah which is interesting but you know some weeks it'll be a serial killer or (laughs) it'll be like about bigfoot or it could be about anything but yeah this week it's going to be about the mighty saints i think the first ever report i did was about the history of aussie rules so Um, bringing it back to we're that. We're going to teach. I, I can see the the jumper that you're wearing. We're going to teach the world about the yellow peril. Is that is that in the? Uh... Yeah, the yellow. Oh, that's good. We should do a section on on jumpers, surely. <laughs> in your 150th episode, there was a bit of talk about that, but yeah, I think this year's probably had the best ever yellow mm. jumper. Mm, yellow, was and that good. might 
I've got I've got a soft spot for the yellow mm. peril. To be I honest, I think we all yeah, do. Actually, H, you've, you've got I, one. I own one of them. We <laughs> smoked Carlton in that jumper yeah. one day at Princess Park. Yes. yes. <laughs> Take that over the M M&M and M Blues any day. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so what's probably one of the what I was going to say? What's one of the strangest sort of I guess um, uh, incidences or something you've you've had that's involved the club where somewhere you've travelled or somewhere you've um, just it's just come up in a conversation with someone you're completely not expecting oh, it to kind of thing or hey, the, I didn't realise I was coming here to be pros <laughs> like this <laughs> wish I had, I had you think you're talking to me like I'm a guy who can who's a, some sort of uh, filing cabinet memory but uh, I've but okay look I don't know if this is anything but I was in um, remember the international rules series in 06 and it was the the brutal one where the Irish were basically saying we're not going to play anymore. Yeah. So I was over there for both those games, and uh, it was one of the one of the great trips. We hired a van, and we drove across from Galway to uh, Dublin, Croke Park. And uh, after the Croke Park game, I don't think this answers your question at all, to be honest. <laughs> but um, I think after the Galway game, we went to the pub afterwards, and uh, Spud was sitting there with uh, Sauce, if I'm remembering correctly, and that it was amazing. Like two now great Saint Saints men, um, but it was amazing the difference between how Sauce was like, just like he didn't say it, but in his eyes he was saying, "Piss off, mate! I don't want to talk." Whereas Spud was basically throwing a, an arm around me, going, "Come in, let's let's chat. <laughs> want to hear all about it." And then at the end of the the Dublin game. We got out of a taxi on the way to a nightclub and um, no, it was the other way around. We were getting into a taxi, you know, late at night, leaving a nightclub and jumping out of the taxi was uh, Brendan Goddard and who was he? It was, I think he was there with another saint. Maybe it wasn't Michael Hurley. Was might it? have been in a taxi. Oh, I think <laughs> I feel like it was maybe Sam Fisher, but I might be misremembering. It was pretty hazy sort of morning. But then I, um, I heard recently that they both maybe hit the town the night before not realize uh, thinking they weren't getting a game you heard that and yeah, they, they ended did. up yeah they <laughs> un- ended up getting the late call up the next morning and i don't think fisher had been to bed yet or something <laughs> like that telling that third hand <laughs> um mate last last one for me before i guess we we move on but favorite players favorite moments we talk about some some finals appearances speak about frankie packet but any other kind of key things that, that stick out to you as kind of your, I don't know, your moments or, or your favourite times of being a Saints fan? I think, well, I think the Moorabbin days and the older I get, the more I, you know, I, I appreciate that I was able to be there for just those short three years, three, four years, uh, just being able to walk down there. We'd walk down, I, you know, I lived probably a, a 25-minute walk, 20-minute walk. But the cars were parking over our driveways, you know. The the streets were just packed out with supporters um, walking through the suburban streets. And, I, you know, it's like an old man being nostalgic, but it's a lot nicer than walking to Marvel Stadium mm-hmm. on, off the train, <laughs> as nice as that is. Uh, and then after the game's going around to our Nana and Pops in Moorabbin with sometimes 50 family members and friends to celebrate or commiserate with Nana's chocolate cake and a few beers. I wasn't having the beers to be honest, but 
uh, everyone else was. And uh, yeah, that, that they're probably the best memories. I remember in '97, we'd all we all went around and uh, like I I don't think I really understood how big it was. Mm. You know, I was a bit naive then and just thought, oh, this is just a thing that happens. You know, everyone gets their shot. Thinking how yeah It'll happen again. Thinking back, that's very naive. But yeah, if not this year, next year. But um the aunties and uncles obviously didn't feel that way and they were, you know, it just felt electric being around them there. Um the same sort of feeling that started happening in in 04, the streak. <laughs> <laughs> which I think finished at Sydney. I remember I think it was at the same Arnie's house yeah. when that all it fell. Fin- Finished after after the day after tomorrow. That's right. Mm. That was the they went to the Mm. movies. Is that the one? (laughs) Ah, that's so funny, man. You three remember everything, (laughs) which I I guess is why you're asking me these questions. Like I might as well. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, every every finals win is like I remember beating Collingwood. I think Frankie Packett maybe even kicked two or three or one, but I've extrapolated it <laughs> in the rain at, at the MCG. It was the um, semi final. Oh, oh eight. Have been. Actually, that oh, was, eight, yeah. Yeah, something like that. It was pretty late in his career, yeah. and, and um, we were throwing him onto the, onto the ball, maybe on the wing to start the game. So they, they had Harvey, and they were throwing a few of the veterans in. And uh, and leaving the ground, they were playing roast tattoos. We can't be beaten. I'm like, man, I'm. I just felt like I was walking a foot off the ground. It's such a great feeling. Similar to the, the Bulldogs prelim wins as well. Just like, holy shit, I can't believe we're gonna be there. And then walking to the from Flinders Street Station to the G on the replay morning, and there was this huge like old Cadillac type winged car with the top down blasting this jazz version, upbeat jazz version of Oh When the Saints. And I, my heart was beating out of my chest. That was the peak of the day probably. Special mention of Lionel Richie, but um, <laughs> it got a bit rough from there. So on that sort of note, I guess we could, you pretty much probably know the question coming here that to you – Basically, what is the Seagull to Football Club? Uh, it's the question we've asked everyone this year. So, uh, I guess a word, a a, a moment. What what does it mean to you? Well, I just I think it's a it's a funny club because as much as you know, we I mean, I didn't necessarily choose it, but I'm choosing to stick with it, right? And it's easy to do that when you go for Hawthorne or Geelong or nearly any other team in the league, basically. But. It, just to be a Saints supporter, I, I don't know. It, it's it's this sort of perverse thing where I, I feel the people who stick with the Saints, I think they're the toughest sports fans in the world. Um, like we keep hoping. And I will. I hope all the time. It goes away, you know, pretty quickly on some game days, but I, I'm always topped up with hope again the next week. And um, I like how I've heard you three talk about this, I've heard Charlie Clawson talk about this, but... It's like a, they're like a family member, the Saints. And uh, we can talk shit about them, but as soon as someone mm-hmm. else does, like I read Titus, I love Titus's uh, columns every week, but when he talks about the Saints, I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> how dare you? 
I, yeah, it's, it's strange. He's writing a comedy column about footy and I'm like, you shut your mouth, mate. <laughs> you might be a funny man, but that ain't funny. <laughs> yeah. the, but yeah, the worst yeah. thing also is that it, it hurts so much because it's generally true as well. That's, that's <laughs> Yes, of course. That's yeah, right. as I've always said with the Saints, it'd be like having that deadbeat relative that frustrates you and you, you're constantly you know, talking to other family members going, this is a pain in the ass, got to do this, got to do that, got to do that. But as soon as somebody outside of the family said, you know, he's a loser or whatever, you'd be like, oh, hang on a second. And you yeah. pull him into line and yeah, say, no, totally. you can't be saying that. So, um, yeah, it's very much our domain. But, Matt, uh, thank you for stopping by and having a chat. I was wondering, given you are one of us, you can help us out with our uh, Lions review and we'll just keep things rolling a little bit. You can even start us off if you want. What did you, you make of it? I felt it was a strange game to watch because – for the first time all year, you're watching a game thinking you can't actually miss the eight, but there's still a little bit to play for in that we'll, we had home finals on the line, but it was a weird one because you're kind of like, well, if we lose, it's not the end of the world where every other loss during the season had felt potentially disastrous. It did. It felt like there were three possible results, a win, which would be amazing. A- and then there was the honourable loss, which it kind of ended up being, and I and that was what I was basically hoping for. Mm. That or better, of course. But uh, there was, even though we didn't have that much to lose, getting flogged would have been a mini disaster. Mm. I think. Mm. Basically, going into the final, we just had two great wins against teams that were recently very good, but are both missing finals this year. This was our chance to show. And, you know, it's all my friends and, and the media who still are, like, saying that we're basically not a top eight team, even though it's like, I don't know how you're making that argument. Like, there's one way of seeing if you're a top eight team or not, and that's if you're in the top eight. Yeah. And we are in <laughs> And that. we've been there all year. So I don't really know how you're making that yeah. argument. We're, we're, we're still 11th. If we get flogged, yeah. then. We're still 11th on the Fox Woody rankings, though, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. The power rankings, ridiculous. Yeah. So I think just just sticking sticking fat the whole game and never letting and even kicking that last goal I thought was you know was nice. Two goals that you know that's anyone's game territory. Much like we were with the other top 3 teams, the other top 4 teams even. Melbourne's was a little bit of a bigger gap but that one was different in other ways because um of the injuries and and we probably outplayed them. But Collingwood a goal, I think, and Port maybe seven points. Mm-hmm. So people say you haven't beaten anyone in the top four, but we've we haven't been destroyed by them by any means at the same time. And Nick, I'll throw it to you. I remember thinking like we got that goal that he mentioned through memory to get back within twelve points, and I think we took it out of the middle, and Higgins took a mark on fifty. And I remember had that weird feeling in my head thinking fuck, we're going to lose by five points. Mm. Uh, thinking that that's, that's honourable, but that sucks. But um, yeah. obviously we, we didn't score again from, from that. But, yeah, I think it's – to me it was one of those games where multiple things can be true at once, where we were lucky to be close at half time because Brisbane had missed a lot of shots, and that's true. They could have blown it out. But we were much better in the second half, very competitive, took it up to them. And it was a somewhat honourable loss. I think both of those things are true. Absolutely. And I think you, you look back you know, over the last few years and, and this is one of the things, this is one of the ways that you can tell that we are demonstrably different to the last few years because I feel like last year, the year before, we go into halftime and there are a couple of goals down, but but 
we've been comprehensively outplayed for most of that first half. I know we we started fairly brightly. We kicked a couple at the start. We were up and about early. But as soon as they got their hands on the ball, and, and they did dominate us kind of at the clearances and stoppages, and, and they got first hands on the ball, they ought to get the ball out and run hard. And, and they just felt like they just wanted it more throughout, the, the I guess, the second half of the first quarter and then the second quarter entirely. But they comprehensively outplayed us. And in previous years, that's a game that we go on to lose by 10 goals, 80 points. You know, you look back at the, at the Bulldogs game a couple of years ago, the Bombers game last year and the year before, like games where we might have been just in it at quarter time or, or at half time, and then just gone out to get absolutely pumped. And we didn't. In fact, we came out and we probably outplayed them for the third quarter um, and probably should have been even closer at three-quarter time. Uh, but, you know, it just wasn't to be. But I think that was... That was one of the pleasing things is that we, we never gave in. And, and even when we were being outplayed, we weren't being thumped. And that was partly Brisbane obviously not taking advantage of their opportunities. But you know, they're, they're the number one scoring team in the competition. And we kept them to, to under 80 points, regardless of whether they outplayed us and, and they missed shots. Like that's still, that's still something to uh, maybe be, be proud of is, is probably too strong. But it's something to say that, hang on, we were competitive and we competed and we made it a contest to one of the best couple of teams in, in the competition in the final week of the year heading into finals. Like that's something to, to be positive about. And and in a game where, you know, we didn't have a huge amount to lose aside from the home final, away final thing, you know, that, that argument. But we competed and we fought our way back into a game against clearly a top two or three team in the league. And we made it hard for them. And ultimately, I think that's what sets us up for a finals run, is that this is a team built for finals football. And I think that's that's what we can take out of it. Yes, we would have loved to win. But what we take out of it is that you know, we, we competed, we made it a contest, and we came through relatively unscathed outside of, uh, Matt, your your passwords, concussion. Thank password. <laughs> uh, yeah. but, but the word is he should be fine for, for the first final. Yeah. And then Tim Rambury probably had one yeah. of his stronger mm-hmm. games, uh, which is great timing as well. And it was without Max King who comes back in. Like it, fe- it feels like for a loss, it was, you know, it wasn't the worst of them. No, it and it, it feels like it d- doesn't hurt momentum going into the final. There, next there was a bunch of other, other positives. I mean, Jack Hayes coming back and playing senior footy for the first time in what, 440 days or, or thereabouts. I mean, uh, Mateus Filippo, you know, who who had clearly been tiring through the second half of the year, but thrown into the middle and and won some clearances. You know, was our I think he won he won the second most clearances for us in the game. Rowan Marshall was a beast, obviously, but Filippo had had more clearances than Jack Steele, Jack Sinclair, and Brad Crouch, who were our our clearance machines. Um, you know, like you said, Matt Tim Embry kicking some goals, you know, getting getting back into some form ahead of September. Like there was a lot of there was a lot of positives to take out of this game despite not winning it ultimately. Ryan Burns third quarter, he had 12 coming on as a sub, but another point that I think was true that Brisbane when it was they leveled the scores in the third quarter it was 6-5 to 5-11, but of their five goals, I think there was one where Jay Gresham didn't quite stick a tackle in the first quarter, then we had Brad Hill turn that ball over in the second quarter when he should have given the handball and got caught. And then Webster slipped over when Cameron turned him inside out. So we probably gave away three of the five from mistakes that could have been avoided. So 
there was a chance for our position to be stronger. And Webster getting um, not getting goal side at the one that's off the ground mm. from Cameron and yeah, yeah, it was oh, it was course, yeah. a lot of the goals mm. probably came from as you're saying small errors we made mm. and they had yes they had lots of opportunities they had lots of opportunities but that's what pressure also does it pressure makes you miss too and so there's many Brisbane fans and like a few Brisbane fans I know were very relieved to get that win they were like they were concerned that they were actually going to drop it and and lose the home final they they came out of it thinking hey we've actually escaped one there that there was a fair bit of three at three quarter time one message from one Brisbane fan going you're going to run over top of us here that they were so concerned about it and mm-hmm. it's just show that as we're saying that the, the losses we've had to these teams that we get through week one we will come up against in week two or week three depending how far we can get that we've only just lost to we we have shown that seems to be the way we're playing this year we pick up against these top teams and get dragged down by the lower teams these teams down the bottom drag us down to their level and we, we we lift against top teams and and I mean it's it's a bit of a payoff there going fantastic. We turn up against these teams that play great football. We win those couple of other games that we probably should win rather than dropping or just scraping over the line and hey, we we get even higher than what we have finished this year and it, it's just shows that yeah, this whole we're not any good or anything like that. It's just, as we're saying, it's just rubbish. And yeah, we we could turn up and who knows what we could actually do. It'd probably be teams concerned going, hey, I, we, we don't want to play them next week. I mean, if we turn up again, if Brisbane lose their first game and all of a sudden we're turning back up there again, they're going, this isn't an easy game. They've probably just been pummeled by Port Adelaide and a bit sore and that sort of thing and thinking, well, hey, we, we've, we've only just scraped over against the line and two weeks ago. Hey, who knows what's going to happen today? So it's that whole situation of, yeah, don't count us out. We could we could do something crazy or, yeah, I mean, they could all end this week, uh, next week. Who knows? It's it's just how we've been this year. It's, it's a really good point about turning up against good teams. And I think we've we've talked about it a couple of times this year. And I've talked about it in, in the office with people at House and Kilda team to, tend to to rise against the quality teams. And I think it's something that, I mean, Darren, you could probably speak to, to dates and, and whatever better than anybody. But I feel like it's something that we've done across history, even when we haven't been a particularly good team. I remember like 94, we beat Essendon and they were you know, the premiers. They were the best team in the competition. 95, you know, we were one of the, the only two teams to beat Carlton on their run and, and one of the greatest teams we've ever seen, that 95 Carlton team, is that, that we we tend to rise against the quality teams and the best teams and then we just let it let it drop against the average teams or, or everybody else. Is like is that a fair a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean we've we've probably got a reasonable record of beating eventual premiers or reigning premiers with the Bulldogs and, and Richmond and Various others, obviously, you'd prefer it. Geelong last yeah, year. Geelong last yeah, Geelong last year. You'd, you'd prefer the narrative to be a little bit different. But, 
it's kind of the way it's gone. We pushed West Coast in, in 2018 as well. But, yeah, there's always been a, a little bit of that. And, and I guess my last thought on the game was when we lost to Carlton a couple of weeks ago, it was because they monstered us in clearances, and, and that happened in this game as well. So, obviously, that's twice in the last five weeks that a, a good midfield has, has completely got hold of us. Obviously, we, we smashed Geelong and smashed Richmond in that area, and um, that's encouraging. And, obviously, beat a, a pretty emerging Hawthorne side, but... Just got to guard against having those lapses and, and periods within matches. But wrapping a bow around it with votes. Now, we have changed it this year, Matt, with our obviously 10 that we're dividing around. But I ended up giving three votes to our two All-Australians in Sinclair and, and Wilkie. I gave two votes to Marshall, who could have or should have been All-Australian. Gave one to Brad Crouch, and I, and I actually gave Membry a vote. I mean, statistically, eight possessions and three goals. But I think in terms of what it means for us going forward, it was really significant. But, um, H, how did you divide your 10? Uh, yeah, it was a – I thought Marshall was probably our best player and just gave everything on the day. And probably, if you look at as it as it stands, he had nine clearances. Mm. That's That's a huge number. I mean, the, the work he did in the middle and he was up against good opposition when you look at him as well. And it's the sort of game that if he brings that to the finals and gives us that service, hey, we're, we're right in amongst it early. And I mean, that, that, that's the first thing you need. You need the ball coming out of the middle. He didn't have a lot of support, as we saw, as you're saying, that generally otherwise we were pretty well beaten in the middle. But if he can just get that bit of support from the usual crouch and steel and that, and they start pushing it out in the middle as well, we're going to win a lot of the ball. We're going to be hard to stop. And just, yeah, if we get that against GWS, he's not going to have his, I guess, experienced Ruckman going up against him in that game. So hopefully he can just strangle it and just give us that same service again because that that was that was huge what he put together. Um, two to Sinclair, um, just worked out, worked all day, worked in the middle, worked the back line, worked way up forward. Even it was it was just all over the place. Um, then gave one to Crouch, one to Wilkie, just did the same as he does there, week in week out. Um, gave one to Zane Cordy. I, I still reckon his backup work down the back and there he's stepped in and just. Their key forwards were kept quite reasonably quiet. Uh, um, I mean, we saw, but at times, at times we saw different players on Danaher up forward. You had uh, Hipwood up forward. Neither of them really did a lot, and, and unfortunately, we got beaten in other positions up forward. So the two of them working together were great. And well, us off, yeah. Ryan Burns, um, he came on and just changed the way we played. He, he, all of a sudden, he's popped up and he's absolutely everywhere. Um, you think we may have, may have played a little differently if he'd actually started the game when you look at it. Um, it's, I don't know whether they didn't realise we'd made a sub and no one went, oh, no one's on him sort of thing, but he, he got out there and he moved the ball well. He found hit targets. He got to the spots he needed to be. And, yeah, that that sort of performance over a whole game it would have been almost, almost getting close to a best on ground. I wanted to give a, a special mention to to Ryan Burns. Didn't quite fit him into the votes, but I think you're right, H, that he's 
He's a bit like the Energizer Bunny. Like he doesn't always hit the target, but those legs are always moving. Like he's always moving. He's always running. And sometimes I think he probably runs too hard for his own good. Like sometimes he just needs to either slow down, take that extra step, take a breath, and then kick the ball. But sometimes he's just kind of kicking and he just mistimes it because his legs are just moving so fast, um, faster than almost his, his brain works. But I go four to, to Rowan Marshall. Like you said, H, nine clearances for a Ruckman is incredible. And and he just does a power of work at ground level. He had 16 contested possessions for the game out of his 20... I had 27 hitouts. He had 24, 25 touches or something like that. He's just, he's just a machine. And I think he started to get the credit that he deserves this year, but he's probably still underrated. And I think he was up against someone who is also an underrated Ruckman in the competition in, in the big O. Yeah, Oscar McInerney is a legitimately very, very good ruckman. And he was also very good at ground level. He's a good tap ruckman. He's a big body. And Rowan Marshall, at the very least, broke even, but probably beat him around the ground. Um, and it was just a, another very, very good game. His his year has been very good, but his second half of the season has been incredible. And it, it's good to see him start to get some of the credit around uh, other segments of the of the media around you know fan fan bases etc because um, he's been very very good. I gave three votes to Jack Sinclair. We've heard all year about what other teams do with guys like Nick Dacos and you know why don't you tag Nick Dacos and all that sort of stuff. And Jack Sinclair is the same. How other teams haven't worked out a way to try and stop Jack Sinclair because he is so creative when he gets the ball. I, I wish that we had two of him one across half back and one through the middle because he can do so much damage when he's forward or center and his delivery inside 50 is probably best in the team. Yeah, his ability to, to, to weight the ball perfectly to a, a leading forward, whether it's Max King or Tim Embry or whoever it is, even smaller guys like Higgins and Butler to be able to weight the ball perfectly so that they can take it lace out in front of their face um, is, is second to none in, in our team and probably the best we've had since Robert Harvey, for example. Um, but his ability to win the ball across half back and take a moment to, to hit a target, you know, across across the center, you know, down the wing or, or whatever, and deliver the ball comfortably and calmly to someone else who's then able to drive us forward is just amazing. And, and like I said, I wish we had two of him. But how other teams haven't worked out that he is such a key part of our squad, our lineup, and the way that we move the ball is is incredible. So I gave him three votes. Uh, I gave. I'm just like shh, Nick. Shh, why you don't give anyone any ideas? I'm so paranoid. Who's listening? What if they're bloody listening? <laughs> That's okay. You still can't stop it. <laughs> no, I know. Obviously, they've tried, but there was well, there was a game a couple of weeks ago where they kept him quiet for a, a patch. Yeah, I think his quiet game was um, but, twenty four touches or twenty five touches <laughs> or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, was that the, that was the Carlton game? Wasn't it? I think. It was I think the Carlton so. Game. Yeah. yeah. Where, been, and yeah. I think the way that they stopped him was just winning the ball and kicking over him and, and you know, that they'd kick goals. Um, but I gave one vote to Cal Wilkie. I thought Wilkie was, he played a pretty good game. I thought he was caught out in a couple of moments. Uh, Danaher kicked two, three, but if he wasn't such a moron, he probably should have kicked four, one. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just, just moments, moments that he was just, and that, that stopped Wilkie from getting an, another couple of votes. But otherwise, he was he was very good. I gave one vote to Naziah Wanganin-Miller, who I think his year has been incredible, um, and just kept driving us forward, just kept running, kept pumping it forward and kicking it long and, and has just been such a, a vital part of 
our identity as a football club over the last kind of 18 or, or, or 20 weeks, um, his ability to grow and develop as a player has been so important for us. And I gave one vote to Mitch Owens, not for your regular reasons, but he had the most tackles of any of our players in the ground, um, which for a second-year player, we know how damaging he's been moving forward and, and his ability to take strong marks and and pivot out of stoppage and kick goals and all that sort of stuff and run over people. But his his defensive ability was on show on, uh, on Saturday afternoon, and, and I thought that was a really underrated part of his game and something that we we haven't really spoken about a lot but his contest work his his effort to get to contest and stoppage and and make a contest um is elite and i just love the way this kid goes about it and and he's going to be a a very very good player for us hopefully for a decade or more don't do you think that are you still hearing that uh people talk about our list being hopeless, you know, like quite a poor yeah. list. But all these, it feels like this year more than recent years, you're naming a, quite a big range of players in your votes mm. each week. Mm. And, we're, I mean, as you said before, Parker, there's we've got uh, two All-Australian players, almost three. Um, Machito Owens was in the top handful for the Rising yeah, Star and yeah, he's yeah. named in the... <laughs> 22 under 22 mm-hmm. along with Nazar. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and then, you know, there's quali- – I feel like we've got quite a bit of quality, but I am obviously a bit one-eyed. But I feel like, you know, Higgins and, and Butler are one of the better small for- forward duos in the comp. Marshall in the ruck, Max King. I, I just don't really understand why people continue with the poor list. Idea, Wind especially Hager when you when you consider one. that Caminiti. we are we are where we yeah, are. Filippo, we, yeah, you know, we we are where we are into the first week of the finals with Jack Steele probably having the worst year of his career outside of potentially his first two in, in uh, at GWS. Um, certainly, is his worst footy since coming to St Kilda. Um, and then you've got guys like Brad Crouch, who who is you know, a very good player in his own right. Um, and there's a bunch of other very good players like Mateus Filippo could be anything. Um, yeah, there, there's a bunch of good players on this list, and and there is certainly an element of I think people underrating these guys, but also you know overlooking them or comparing them to others and and expecting there to be some kind of template of a of a footballer. And maybe our guys don't necessarily fit the template, but they're very good players in their own right. I think it's just that polish that I think a lot of people go, we just don't have that golden player sort of thing. We we uh, Most teams seem to have that one player who just shines like a Bonton Pally or a Crips or something like that. Just just that one golden player. What we don't like have. In, uh... Yeah, that we've got a whole, look, we've, we've got a cabinet full of silver probably. We just don't have that, <laughs> yeah. that top line polish that yeah a lot my, of the my teams view is they can uh they can contemplate that whilst Essendon the Bulldogs Adelaide and Fremantle are sitting on a beach <laughs> in Bali um they can talk about that all they like to be honest with all the polish that uh that, that's spoken about on their list when they've uh, they booked their flights but um mm-hmm. we'll continue to wrap that with the awards so we'll preview the Giants final next week but um Jason Blake awards uh Nick did you want to kick us off with that yeah, it's a tough one because I feel like there's there's a lot, 
And, and I feel like, I don't know, I've kind of just got to go back to the well, given it's the final home and away game. Um, I want to give it to Mason Wood, who I know that he's been getting a bit more credit. And I think, you know, I think it's kind of widely accepted that it's, you know, the best footy of his career and, and all that sort of stuff. But you look at the job that he's done for us week after week after week after week for a year and a half, really. Um, and he's just not spoken about in the same vein, the same breaths as your top class, you know, elite wingman, where he almost provides us more than most wingmen do because he's he's bigger, he's stronger, he's the ability to take contested marks and kick goals, um, which is more than most wingmen do. And then he also drifts back and takes contested marks in defense. And you're almost goal square to goal square, let alone 50 to 50 like most wingmen. And the guy just never stops. He never stops. We talk about Brad Hill being the running man and, and other guys just you know, never stop running. But Mason Wood never stops running. And he's, what, 6'3"? Six, 6'4"-ish? Six, mm. six, he's yeah. a big boy. He's a big body. He's, he's strong. You know, he's the healthiest he's ever been, obviously. Um, but he has the ability to play so many different roles for us and, and play them almost playing the one position. You know, he's... We, we don't line him up at centre-half back. We don't line him up at centre-half forward to play different roles. We line him up on the wing, and he goes and does all these different things for us week after week, and and he's just been massive. And and I love Mason Wood. He's one of my favourite players now. Um, and, and I was really – I liked him when we, we picked him up as a recruit. I thought he'd be a really good kind of third, fourth foil forward as a, I guess, mid-size forward type. He's, he's a really good kick for goal. Um, but I didn't – I remember speaking on this – podcast um wondering why we're playing him on the wing like he doesn't have the ability to play on the wing but he's legitimately one of the best pure wingmen in the competition and nobody talks about him in that vein and so mason wood has to be my uh my jason blake h he's the perfect jason blake as well i reckon um because i I think of we me and my mates uh would call jason blake our nickname for him was the ute he was the utility he could play Mm -hmm. any position and I mean, Mason Wood plays the one position, but that one position is the whole That's ground. Right. <laughs> That's right, and it feels like that that utility that you know you talk about, Matt. That utility role was something that was it was almost like players were named as utilities every week. Mm-hmm. That utility mm-hmm. doesn't really exist in in modern day AFL footy, but Mason Wood is is a utility. Their footy card would often say it. Like in yeah, their footy card right. would say such and such yeah. utility. I think, H, um, I think that's because yeah. most of the time the people printing those cards had no idea where they played. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I've got to give it to a bit of a combination. Um, we go back two weeks and you look at King Membry. How well did they work against Geelong? How well did it, everything just click with both of them out there? Then we said see King not play Nick last week. And remember, remember he gave us three goals, but I don't think he had anywhere near the impact he had against Geelong the week before. Before Against Geelong, I, I felt he was he, he was huge in that game. He, he might not have had a lot of the ball, he might not have, but everything he did made a difference to what was happening out there. And working in tandem with King was fantastic. And I think that that's going to be one of the things we look at this week and go, that is just what we need out there. So I think that combination of those two out there is very underrated and we've been missing that quite a bit. 
And as we we saw against Geelong, just how well it works. Let's hopefully that can be a key going ahead for the rest of the season. Matt, did you have uh, any you'd like to bring forward? Well, I think maybe not just from this week, but maybe for most of the year, I've I've thought of uh, Windhager as being um, maybe a little bit harshly criticised. I think he started the year with, you know, a few you know, injuries, uh, relatively significant injuries. And then he was played as a sub and then he was dropped and he sort of never really got a good run at it. And I think during that time, I heard a lot of Saints mates talking about him like, oh, he hasn't come on like we thought he was the way he was looking last year. But I don't, I don't think he really had a, a great run at it until the second half of the year where he's building, um, I, don't know, I think, quite solid form and he's, looking more like the player we were thinking he was going to be last year. Yeah, I think that's um, that's definitely a good shout. I think his last six, seven, eight weeks, probably mm. since that Richmond game the first time, has been pretty encouraging. Um, I was going to give mine to the guy that we were talking about earlier in Ryan Burns who came on and had an impact. And look, he's got some limitations as a player, Ryan Burns, but he works hard and he's been pretty consistent when he has played. So... Um, there's still a chance for him to play a role in the finals. A lot of that would depend on Sev Ross, you would think. Uh, in terms of the Shannon Knoll Award, um, I'm leaning towards that there's a, a couple of guys I could mention, but one that's probably an obvious one. Um, I think he's had a very good year and I think he's part of a very good combination, but I also feel that in some of these bigger games, he's struggled a little bit and you always get the feeling he's going to miss important shots at goal, and that's Jack Higgins. Um, does a lot right, but at this stage, there's probably just not quite the trust that, you know, when it really matters most, are we going to get that from him? So um, it might be a little bit harsh, but he's he's mine. Uh, Nick? Combination for me, and it, I think I've got to go to our, uh, our clearance machines in the middle. Uh, Jack Steele and, and Brad Crouch. I think, you know, there's been a couple of times this year where they've just been dominated and, and you don't expect that from those type of, of strong, you know, leader type on field uh, clearance beasts. And and last week was again, I think we, we saw it happen against Carlton in that final quarter uh, when we needed, we needed guys to stand up and they didn't. Uh, we saw it last week against against Brisbane, where Lockie Neal kind of got on top at, at stoppage. Uh, we're going to come up against uh, a pretty good clearance team. You know, a team that's got Tom Green and Callan Ward and Canelio and, and these types of guys that, that can win the footy at will when they want to. Uh, we need these guys, you know, in the trenches to to win the ball and and get first hands on it and and be able to get our guys that are. You know the flashy guys, the, the the smooth movers, whatever you want to call them. You know, out on the wing and and through the middle, get them the ball to, to be able to go and, and make a difference. And and if we can do that, then we're in a really good spot. But um, it's it's those two guys, you know, experienced heads, big bodies that that really are going to need to lift next week against the GWS midfield that are pretty good in the middle. Matt, did you have one? Uh Maybe take a leaf out of your book from last week or the week before, Parker, where you <laughs> talked about the certain um, supporters <laughs> bringing the opposition mates. So I think leading into our first Melbourne final 
our first MCG final in 13 years, first Melbourne final in 12 years. We're playing against a team that's not going to bring too many supporters. We've got no excuses not to be dominating the crowd. And we've got 50-plus thousand members. I'd be I'd be pretty shattered if we don't have 65,000-plus there for the yeah. elimination final, you know, and why not even more than that? So rather than bringing your uh, opposition-supporting mates, bring your, <laughs> you know, your half-ass Saints-supporting mates and... I just I think there's no excuse not for turning out to this on a Saturday afternoon. Or, no, I agree. Or, I mean, yeah. there's probably some excuses if you've got a newborn child or something like that, Parko. Maybe I'll give you a pass. But... I've got my ticket on there. Don't worry. Or, or, or bring those. <laughs> or bring the mates that do barrack for other teams. We get them to get them to support us on the day. That, that's yeah. Put a, put a scarf that's... on them. Put the colours on. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. But it's very yeah. rare that you would get that level of dominance in a in a crowd yeah. our way in a final. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've got a couple of guy up till about up till the Hawthorne game had pro, had been massive in our back line. It's just been the last few weeks he's just had a bit of a a lull and it's just been beaten probably a little bit too easy at times. But Jimmy Webster, hopefully you can get back to where you were because huge going up until as I said the Hawthorne game where he's had six kicked on him and. Like keeps Cameron the first time we played him to a goal on the final siren and mm. other small forwards goalless and killed Cosy conceding maybe one goal here or there. But yeah, just the last few weeks has just just struggled that little bit. And let let's hope he can just find that because he may have the role of Toby Green coming up in two weeks. Let's hope he finds it and just just buries him into the MCG turf. Yeah, the All Australian captain. Yeah, he was named that. Um, not not hugely surprising, but we know that he's a, going to be a large focus of what we're trying to prepare for next week. Um, in terms of that, so St Kilda, I'm almost prepared to given it's a final. Do we park that this week, or is there one mm. that stands out, or do we um, hang off hang off on it given that oh, it's just the whole would have normally been so yeah. exactly the whole roller coaster we went through last week of probably just, yeah we're, we're yeah. in city one minute we're in melbourne the next and yeah the live and it, sh- it should have been ladder. it should have been yeah. safe but because of yeah. essendon's incompetence the week before it, it wasn't but um what do you think yeah. of the the final round being set up like that it's it's manipulated by the afl pretty late in the season mm. so they can choose the game to be last which is a great position to be in because you know, when you're playing earlier, the teams, all of a sudden, all the teams that we're relying on to win, they don't have anything to play for. Mm-hmm. We were lucky the Demons showed up, really. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like it was, um, yeah. That's why it was a miracle the Bulldogs lost the week before. Like it was starting to look grimmer yes. and grimmer with all of that. Um, as we wrap things up, obviously, AFLW will kick off on Friday night. A pretty tough start against North in Tassie, but um, you never know. Obviously, great to have that all started. We'll give that a fair bit of oxygen as we head along and we'll, we'll wrap that up next week as part of the finals wash. We do have some listener questions, a few that I'll read out, but maybe we'll park those for, for next week as a bit of a teaser. Josh says midfield lineup, Owens or Pooh featuring. That's one we can look at. Tim says Hayes or Sharman. I can argue either way. Neither is wrong, neither is right. We, we might touch on that as well. And Luke says, first of all, thanks for the info, laughs and analysis. No worries. And says, who goes to green in the final and is Ross worth the risk coming off a hammy? They're 
probably all ones that we can take a look at next week. But Steve asks a question. Tell us about your first and most recent Saints finals experience. First final I went to was actually the 97 qualifying final against Brisbane at Waverley. But I do remember the prelim from that series, catching the train down. It was absolutely pissing down with rain all day. And everybody saying that that was going to suit North um, MCG Friday night. They were the specialists and it was wet. And I remember the the skies just completely cleared at about 7 o'clock, maybe 45 minutes before the game. And it did not rain the whole way through. And it kind of felt like that was one of the rare occasions where the gods had smiled on us and said, no, you're okay. Um, they didn't They didn't smile on us a week later, but um, it kind of felt that way. But H, what was your earliest finals experience? Uh, yeah, I, I went to a few finals before, before that, not involving us, but yeah, that final against Brisbane at Waverley was, yeah, my first St Kilda final as well. And um, yeah, you got, I mean, haven't got the time for it now, but there's a few interesting stories about the preliminary <laughs> final that night too, and the whole thing of basically ended up being what I was what thirteen at the time, and pretty much sat there by myself watching the game because of a an injury to a family member. So I was, yeah, it was a it was an interesting night for us, and um, yeah, we as you know we had a few more finals that that's the, all the following year as well, but yeah, then we had to wait until. Wait until two thousand and four again. So it's uh, few and far between at times, but yeah, as just like you, ninety seven was the first one I got to. Yeah, uh, I was at the Geelong final ninety one, but I have no recollection of it. I was six. Mm. Uh, the The first real final I remember is the same as you guys, the the, the Brisbane game at Waverley, um, which I think you know pretty much anyone of our kind of generation is going to yeah. be the one that you kind of remember being at your know, home final, um, all that sort of stuff. And then obviously leading into, into the North prelim and, and the grand final for obvious reasons. Um, Matt, your, your earliest finals yeah. memories. I, same as you, I was there at 91. Um, I have, a, I have vague memories of it uh, sitting on the, on the wing um, and obviously it being a heartbreaker. Uh, and then I couldn't get a ticket. Family couldn't get me a ticket for the following year. So I missed the win against Collingwood, but was there for us getting flogged by the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do remember, yeah, I was there for all, all three of the 97 finals and, yeah, obviously Everett going down. I think in the first quarter mm. was so decisive maybe – for that final series in general. And Vitovic the week before, is yeah, that right? Yeah, against Port yeah. in the last quarter. Just, yeah. I mean, that's so St Kilda. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. It is. And then um, obviously they were able to double-team Stuart Lowe in the grand final and away it went from there. But, um, yeah, and obviously the most recent would have been the COVID finals, unfortunately. So that's why this one is great. Shay, uh, again, talking about the positivity and talking about whether we do a press red for red type situation. I would absolutely love that. Um, logistically, we might have to work on that. That might be a futures project, <laughs> but wouldn't mind certainly doing something like that. Um and Steve making the good point about our midfield getting dictated a bit by Brisbane and, and Phil Deladarkis just on Dan Butler, of course, Phil co-hosted this show on the odd occasion, asking about whether Dan Butler was stiff not to be in the All-Australian squad. He has had a pretty good year. Obviously, there's the, the crop of forwards is quite deep and, and Charlie Cameron sort of monopolises the best forward in terms of small forward in the game. And then obviously Toby Green plays small to medium and then they've got all the tools like Larky and Kerno and Tex. 
So it was always going to be difficult, particularly with guys like Petrarca that they'd want to play forward. Mm. So, um, yeah, he's had a good year. Since, since 2020, I reckon, Dan. Yeah, Butler, without a doubt. Yeah. He's, he's, I think he led mm. forward 50 tackles, yeah, I think, yep. for the comp. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It was weird to have a message from Phil that didn't uh, snipe you there, Nick, as well. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's on record. That's on record. It's normally <laughs> Phil that snipes me first. I know there's been there's been a back a, a bit of back and forth on the show occasionally, but mm-hmm. uh, it is normally Phil that snipes first. So it's good to uh, good to have that on record. Well, this early juncture, I'm surprisingly maybe naively confident about um, next week. Obviously, as we draw a little bit closer, that'll change a little bit. But it, it feels all right at this stage. Um, the nerves will kick in probably next week. But it's fantastic to be in that position to be talking about it. We will preview the Giants final, which is, of course, a Saturday afternoon at 3.20. Hopefully, all of the members got their tickets today. Reports are that there's been about 50,000 sold. We hope that's true and, and that they can go beyond that. And the MCC and the AFL members and the like all show up. But, Matt, thanks for jumping on. Good luck with uh, everything that you're doing. And Matt Stewart Comedy, of course, if people want to follow it. But um, appreciate yeah, and you yeah, check out the check out the Do Go On episode. It'll be out on, on Wednesday with Nick, and we're going to go through the whole 150 years. I'm, I'm predicting maybe a three-hour episode, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm stoked to hear, Parker, that you're feeling good about next week because I, I think you're a great barometer. I think you, you tend to be tuned into the club really well and when you're confident we tend to win so well i hope hopefully it it, in the last couple of years at times it's changed where it's been there and then it's gone away or it's come back so i'm just hoping this one sticks around but um at this stage it does feel okay but yeah we'll share that that podcast via our channels as well but uh look forward to previewing that final next week and go saints (laughs) 